0: Okay, so this is going to be a little bit different than what you guys typically hear from me. Uh, I'm not going to be doing too much AR stuff in this video or podcast or however you want to call it. But I woke up this morning on a Monday and the first thing I did was hop on Twitter. And usually I get my daily dose of American trash uh, to start my day. And I was really surprised to see the NCAA trending. Uh... As I got deeper into it, uh, it looked like people were really demanding college football not be canceled. Uh, meanwhile, the Power Five conferences uh, are pretty much on the verge of canceling the 2020 season. And interest- interestingly enough, uh, a few things have, you know, really happened during that time. Uh, groups of student athletes have opted out of the season, uh, and. Demanded representation with certain guaranteed demands and those demands include and I'll quote from the uh, Players Tribune and a few things that I found on Twitter It's they say to ensure future generations of college athletes will be treated fairly uh, hashtag we are united because NCAA sports exploit college athletes physically economically and academically and also disproportionately harm black college athletes, hashtag we are united. In rejecting the NCAA claims that black lives matter while also systematically exploiting black athletes nationwide, hashtag we are united. Because we are being asked to play college sports in a pandemic in a system without enforced health and safety standards and without transparency about COVID cases on our teams, the risk to ourselves, our families, and our communities, hashtag we are united. Because we must have adequate COVID testing to help protect our health, hashtag we are united. Because we are prohibited from securing representation while being asked to sign documents that may serve as liability waivers. Hashtag We Are United. Because we should not be stuck in with sports related medical expenses, including COVID 19 related expenses. Hashtag We are United. Because any player who does not feel comfortable playing this season should be free to opt out without losing their scholarship or any eligibility. Hashtag We Are United. Because Immoral rules would punish us from receiving basic necessities or compensation for the use of our names, image, and likenesses, while many of us and our families are suffering economically from COVID-19 fallout, hashtag we are united. Because we should be included in equitably sharing the revenue our talents generate, especially in a pandemic, Hashtag we are united. Because unjust rules prevent 98% of college football and basketball players who won't go pro from capitalizing economically on what would otherwise be the most valuable years of our lives, including many black players from low-income homes. Hashtag we are united. Because eliminating lavish salaries and facility expenditures to preserve all sports must be prioritized hashtag we are united because the ncaa has failed us and we are prepared to ensure that our conference treats us fairly whether or not it continues its ncaa membership hashtag we are united informing alliances with college athletes from other conferences to unite with us for change hashtag we are united hashtag we are united in our commitment to secure fair treatment for college athletes due to the COVID-19 and other serious concerns, we will opt out of Pac-12 fall camp and gain participation unless the following demands are guaranteed in writing by our conferences to protect and benefit both scholarship athletes and walk-ons. Others have demanded that They play the season because they uh, put so much work in uh, to the season and they just want to play. More importantly, some programs are tweeting these tweets and and really adding gas to the fire. Uh, To take things a step further, uh, coaches are coming out in support of playing this season. And uh, I won't go into the dynamics of players voicing their need to play the season but I will address the disparities that are intertwined in this cluster of problematic events and actions. First football teams comprise over 50% black students on most division one programs, but most of these programs are part of academic institutions whose student population is less than 10% black. It would be different if this was the pros, but it's not. In fact, this is the antithesis of professional football or professional college sports altogether to the point that they can't try to make a living during the pandemic. They would be rendered ineligible to play college football. The hypocrisy of this situation is that we're trying to treat these players as students. When school is supposed to be online for all of these students, why are we expecting student athletes to be on campus and play a season? When they go to school, are they going to be going to class still, or is it going to be online? Are they expected to go to class while everyone else is taking online classes? It's not like students are paying a reduced price to take classes this term. They're paying full price despite the situation. This really brings to light the inconsistencies and disparities that exist between populations especially because black populations are disproportionately affected by COVID. In every age range, black communities who contract COVID are dying at higher rates. And there's there's data to back that up, while white communities are dying at lower rates. Since this whole thing has manifested, there have been a general shift in sentiment for the, the need to lower infections once we all realized that it was disproportionately affecting black communities, especially worse than others, and especially worse than white communities, people were getting sick, but black people were dying more. And we see that expressed in every crude way by people that downplay the severity of the virus by saying, you know, the flu is worse, or they just, the responses are just baffling to me. But not surprising when we look at who the people are that are saying these things? And so let's take a look at Ben Sasse. I find it interesting that public officials are weighing in on whether or not football should be played this season, especially since people have been silent about the conditions of student athletes you know, for years, and how it's not beneficial under the current NCAA structure for the well-being of these athletes. The non-guaranteed medical treatment, the lack of career opportunities for student athletes, the very little representation for student athletes, uh, will you know, like they it just it just preys on that. And so Ben says, you know, he wrote a letter to the big ten presidents and, and the chancellors, and he said, Essentially, we should not cancel college football season. Life is about trade offs. There are no guarantees that college football will be completely safe, absolutely true. It's always true. But the structure and discipline of football programs is very likely safer than what the lived experiences of 18 to 22 year olds will be if there isn't a season. As a former college president, I know many of you actually agree because I've heard multiple presidents say it when the cameras aren't rolling. Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence have made similar points persuasively. Canceling the fall season would mean closing down socially distanced structured programs for these athletes. Young men will be pushed away from universities that are uniquely positioned to provide them with testing and healthcare. Here's the reality. Many of you think that football is safer than no football, but... You also know that you will be blamed if there is football. Whereas you can duck any blame if you cancel football. This is a moment of leadership. These men need a season. Please don't cancel college football. The first thing that I would say to that is that March Madness was canceled during the pandemic. In fact, everything was canceled during the pandemic. Since everything was canceled, Things have only gotten worse. People have lost careers, and some have even lost their homes. And we're talking about not canceling football. Questioning whether football is safer or not is not a question. The effects of head trauma on mental and physical health is already proven. I can attest to that because I played football for 12 years, with six of those years being in Division I college programs. Why is it that we're so eager to get back to the field amongst a pandemic? Why are we willing to ignore the climate in which we're living in right now? You can't socially distance in football. To imply that canceling the season will dismantle the structures for college athletes disregards the fact that they are further being isolated from the general student body because they're athletes. If they're expected to exist on campus by a different set of rules, then they must be a different classification. It must start from there. There is no vote on behalf of student-athletes whether they should play. There's no structure set up for them to even participate in voting. There are only a bunch of white guys on Twitter that are advocating for football despite not playing a lick of D1 Sports. The reality is that we don't know what will happen when we are in the mid-season. Bodies are going to be banged up. Flu season is going to be ramping up. COVID is still going to be ravaging the U.S. Each individual aspect is already a red flag. But the intersection of all these are just very scary. At the end of the day, black players are going to be disproportionately affected. And so a moment of true leadership comes when people are taken into account medical experts and suggestions that have been with the best interest of student-athletes and not the best interest of fans and businesses. We're all hit hard during COVID. It's not the job of athletes to distract us, lift our spirits, and get us out of this time. It's just not. And so then we have, obviously, another coach, Nebraska's head coach, Scott Frost, and, you know, he, he went on TV and he shared a, he shared a few thoughts on the matter. He said, our university is committed to playing no matter what. We certainly hope it's in the Big Ten. If it isn't, I think we're prepared to look at other options. I find this interesting because we are six months into the biggest pandemic of any generation alive. It has uprooted life as we know it across any sector. It felt like overnight things were just changed. Careers were unhinged, money was lost, and plans were uprooted. I say that because I lost projects, I had to cancel trips. I had to postpone events for business and pleasure. All of us are feeling the effects and there isn't much that we can do about it because we are not health experts and health professionals. We're not superheroes. We're not immune to the risks of these actions. If the medical field is worried, then we should all be too. Playing football isn't going to change that. What really gets under my skin is that when conferences said that we're not going to be playing. He suggested that they can find a way to play no matter what. I understand being eager and determined, but to insist that this is the proper direction when something as little as going to the movies or getting a haircut presents risks of death. To say that this reality doesn't matter is just it's just baffling to me. I just don't get it. And so, I mean, th- this is this is always an ever-growing thing amongst football players. And the perception of certain football players and athletes. We hear the stories of To. We hear the stories of uh, Ocho Cinco and and you know popular black players Reggie Bush, and then we hear the stories of Matt Ryan and Tim Tebow and stuff. And you know it goes beyond just the the position that they play. It's really the perception. And how that perpetuates certain stereotypes. And so, for me, you know, there's there are definitely many signs preparing Trevor Lawrence uh, for his title of being the great white hope of football for 2020. And it's it's such a it's such a glaring parallel from a whole lot of different things, you know, because we we see how they demonize Jameis Winston, we see how uh, other black players, Cam Newton uh that were quarterbacks uh didn't have the same perception and more importantly you know he has the backing of the president you know as the backing of players coaches ad's politicians um you know all because he's he's sort of uh being the voice of this this silent majority that feels oppressed and feels unheard and feels like they don't have power and I'm really interested to see how this plays out because it's not surprising that this is, you know, coming from a school like Clemson, who has confirmed history of racism towards their own players and towards opponents. Even Debo Sweeney has a problematic history as it pertains to race relations, especially this year, you know, and the well-being of his student-athletes. You know, he's making $9 million and he's insisting that players don't get played. But he also insists that players should be playing during a, a pandemic. But he's not willing to risk his financial financial success, his financial stability, for the safety and well-being of these players. And he's really just dis, disguising that as opportunities. And, you know, it's, it's, everybody has opportunities. But when there's a lack of opportunities, you can't force a, a guise of opportunities when there's no industry. You're trying to sell tickets, and people don't have jobs to buy those tickets. So what are we talking about here? And so Trevor stock is definitely going to be rising, and it definitely has been risen. And even to the point where uh, he hasn't played a lick of football this season, and he's probably going to be on people's radars. I, I imagine his jersey is going to be a hot seller, and his Twitter following is going to grow because that's just how things work. You know, it's, 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 you know, it is what it is, uh, not saying, I'm not saying anything bad about him as a, as a player, you know, cause he, you know, he's, he's put in the work and he's done all the things that he needs to do to be successful. I'm saying that there are parallels and things that go beyond football that, uh, disproportionately affect black players in a negative way and, and white players in a positive way. Uh, Giving what spectrum they what part of the spectrum they're they're on And so this whole this whole hashtag we want to play thing is It's interesting There's been players circulating tweets with the hashtag uh, Hashtag we want to play It's interesting What players are speaking up in support of this though? Some players are talking about wellness and equity, while others are talking about these pseudo-Republican GOP talking points that you'll hear from Dabo Sweeney and, and, you know, other head coaches and 80s and politicians. It's like, we want football. It's like, I understand that, but we also want to be safe. You know, one could imagine how the Pac-12 would tweet and how the SEC would tweet. Uh, to be honest with you. The most vocal ones tend to be from the programs that have the most disparities among the success of black student-athletes on and off the field, if not just the black community as a whole in those states, compared to the white counterparts and abroad. Nevertheless, the message reads, we all want to play football this season. Establish universal mandated health and safety procedures, and protocols to protect college athletes against COVID-19 among all conferences throughout the NCAA, give players the opportunity to opt out and respect their decision, guarantee eligibility whether a player chooses to play the season or not, use our voices to establish open communication and trust between players and officials, ultimately create a college football players association, representative of the players of all Power 5 conferences. And it's like, I understand the desire to achieve your dreams. I was there at some point. But we have to understand that this is not an end to your career. This is just a setback or a pause. In fact, this is a great opportunity to rest up, get your body back together, and actually focus on being a student for once. Let's pick this apart, though. Establishing protocols to protect against COVID-19? Can that actually really be done? They can't protect former presidential candidates at realities. What makes anyone think that they can protect players from COVID? What rings in my ear is a story about Brady Feeney. Uh, to make it a long story short, Brady tested negative at the beginning of uh, Mandatory. To make it a long story short, Brady tested negative at the beginning of voluntary workouts. But he and other players tested positive about, you know, three weeks later. The university followed all the protocols that these players and the coaches referred to and tested the whole team. Then they retested the whole team. Yet Brady was hit hard with the virus, despite being in good health. He ended up in the ER with respiratory issues. This has lasted, you know, a longer than ideal time. He's still dealing with the effects of it and it's affected his heart, according to his mother. This is just one example of how unprepared football is to protect players. People can't be protected from a virus that has no vaccine and preys on group gatherings. The closer you are to people, the more at risk you are. This story really reminds me of when I had mono a month before training camp. I was essentially quarantined for about three weeks, uh, but I had to report to camp once camp started. For those that have not had mono, it, I mean, it sucks. Uh, some people die, but most survive. Uh, I was one of them, and I lost about 20 pounds within a month. Most of that was muscle, as I was working hard towards my senior season at Oregon State, And I was starting at, you know, the nickel and dime package. And I was in my last year of grad school. I was on the watch list for academic awards and athletic awards. And was really focused on this season. Then I got sick. When training camp came, I had to report to camp and go to practice and meetings and all that stuff. They closely monitored me, but it was all to get me back on the field as soon as possible. When things started to look promising... They got me back on the field because I was a starter, and there really wasn't much confidence in, in the backups that I had at the moment. I was really eager to get back, but, you know, things, things were just, it was just interesting because I was really eager to get back to the field because we always open the season with the one A team. And those were often the games to boost up your confidence and really, really get back into the swing of things for the season. Unfortunately, I came back too early, though. A day or so after my first practice I woke up completely drained uh, man I, I really felt like death I like walked into the training room and my roommate was just like dude like you look just dead and it you know like it, it even though they were monitoring me they can't control the rate at which I recovered that moment I realized that I needed to slow down And I had to take the time that I needed to recover and not let it be on somebody else's watch. I was in the ice bath till, you know, uh, till the end of the night, uh, just neck high multiple times a day. Uh, I was drinking tons of water. I was getting as much sleep as you could during a camp. And I was eating as much and eating a well-balanced diet. Like I was doing everything that I possibly could to optimize my recovery time. But you just can't, you just can't rush it. You know, just things don't matter when you're navigating a virus. As a result of me returning to the field too early, I messed up my recovery timeline. That meant I was underweight going into my first game. I couldn't lift to really work out until mid season. And, you know, by that time, I was starting to get banged up because of the season. I can attest to the physical toll football has. I played six seasons and I recovered from two season in- injuries that required hip reconstructive surgery twice. I was in a wheelchair for a month and I have had to do extensive rehab even to just get to walking and jogging for both of those. The actions we make can la- have lasting effects, especially with football because I'm dealing with that stuff right now. It's not about whether we want to play or not. It's about the proper representation. Much like players can't control their schedules, they can't control the outcomes of this. There is very little players can actually do to control this, to be honest with you. They can't control their class schedules. They can't control their diets. They can't control their workout conditions. They can't control their working conditions. They can't control their breaks from school. They can't even control what they want to work out. And more importantly, they can't control when they can play and when they can't. Most are kind of just sort of just there trying to stay out of trouble for the most part. What people often don't think about is how football ends for 99% of the guys. Very rarely do we get the retirement celebrations we see on TV, you know, quote unquote, after 12 years of playing football, I decided to hang up my cleats. That was just not something that I you know, that I said. I thought about it, but it just never I never said it. I never had the opportunity to say it. The end of my career came when nothing happened really. Literally nothing happened. I trained and did pro day. I didn't get drafted. I went to a few workouts but didn't make a roster. I just never got that call. After struggling to land a spot for months after the draft, I sat down in my room and thought about just, you know, what are my options? My body was banged up from injuries. I was on the verge of getting my master's degree and looking at the realities of the long-term health effects, I had to ask myself whether I wanted to put myself through more of this to struggle to achieve a pop dream. Yeah, I want to continue this vicious cycle that further perpetuates an ever-growing stereotype of using my body for opportunities and being defined by the hyper-masculine culture that survives off of taking underprivileged young black men out of the ghettos and giving them a quote-unquote education, structure, discipline, and father figures to battle on the gridiron, and make our families and communities proud. This played out narrative has so many racial undertones, because when it ends, all this stuff is gone, literally in the blink of an eye. If you don't have a backup plan, then you're really stuck just trying to pick up the pieces and, and figure out what life is, once all this stuff is gone. And you really don't have, like you really have no support. And so all these people talking about, oh, we need football, we need all these things, these are the same people that turn their back on me, they turn their back on hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of guys that have gone through this pipeline and and are stuck on, you know, government assistance and food stamps and no opportunities and, and working these mediocre jobs and stuff, despite being making people a lot of money. And really not being able to benefit from that legacy that you put out. I literally played for 12 years and I don't have a legacy. You know, I didn't... All that stuff was just sort of... It's like community service. Makes you feel good. But there's you, there's no launching point for you. And I had a master's degree. You know, I stay out of trouble. I did all that stuff. And so... I you know, I was I was on Twitter again, as always, and I ran into a video from Booger McFarland. And you know, he's a first round draft pick, played in the pros, you know, he's on he ESPN now, and you know, he, he he said a few things that were very interesting. And he said, How can it be safe to send guys to the field when you can't have fans in the stands and you can't have students sitting in class? The people who have to take all the risks are not the ones making the decisions. And this is because they're amateurs. The NCAA made that impossible for them to even make their own decisions. It doesn't matter what they want to do because whether they have eligibility or not or whether they want and have the opportunity to play, it's not up to them. They're amateurs and therefore someone else must make the decision for them. If they were pros, they can seek guidance, make decisions, and be compensated for it, but this is not it. Hashtags literally mean nothing when you can't make decisions for yourself. The bigger question is, why are we even talking about being an athlete when they can't even be students? According to the NCAA, they are students first and foremost. Just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean we have to just throw all the rules out the way doesn't mean morals go out of the way. Suggesting anything else means that fans in the stands, coaching staff, stadium workers, and anyone else that is affected economically have more weight than the well-being of these players. The only way this conversation actually makes sense is if it makes sense. No pun intended, but it's just really talking about if there's money involved, that's what really matters to them and not the well-being of these people. There's always this reoccurring sentiment that players are getting state-of-the-art medical treatment, and they're pampered and spoiled and all that. Mind you, none of this is mental health services, despite all the head trauma they have. You know, they're getting free education. But I have osteoarthritis in my hips, and I'm under 30. They say that if they don't like it, they can do something else. For all those that are upset about not being able to go to work or go to hair salons or bars, the same literally can be said about that as well. But the hypocrisy is just so rampant amongst people that have little to no empathy for others, especially others with darker skin. They say that they're spoiled and ungrateful, but you expect them to risk their lives so that you can watch your favorite team on TV. ignore everything that is happening in the world you're literally looking for a distraction they even want them to keep politics out of sports but politicians are going out of their way to influence decisions and public opinion about sports where's the true representation for players we're in a global health pandemic where most of the schools are in states where thousands of people were dying from the virus This is not a time for public opinion. These are not employees. They're not at the liberty of making their own decisions because they are not able to make informed decisions that align with free market as student athletes. If they do try to get representation, they literally will be rendered ineligible. And so how how are we putting people in a situation to make decisions that you want them to make because it benefits you but not them and then twisting it and making it seem like they're they're being selfish when in actuality you guys are all being selfish and then not only that but you're you're holding this idea of opportunities and hard work and and wasted efforts over their heads like it's something that they have—they have the choice to uh, renege on. It's like they have no other choice. They're just trying to make it. They're just trying to make it like everybody else. And this is the this is the path that you know has given them the opportunities. And so it comes from a place of privilege that that people can even sit on the soapbox and, and talk about these things like this. And so let's 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 look at the logistics here of playing football. As if guys didn't have trouble balancing life and football already. What is implied by playing football under these conditions is that the season is going to be one long training camp. Every program will be working under the guise of COVID-19 preparedness to restrict the daily lives of every single player in the program. If any one of the players have families, They will have to consider socially distancing from family members and friends after every away game. More importantly, guys will have to choose between being with the team over being with their kids in fear of transmitting the disease. Guys will have curfew and must ensure that they remain healthy while they're in the season, which they can't really control. Meetings will be longer. Practice will be longer, and the nuances and regulations that are set will be exploited by coaches and staff to better prepare guys to win games. How will walk-ons fare with this? What if players live at home with older family members? What if family members get sick? Will players have to choose between their team or their sport? I mean, these are all... These are all things that I would imagine people would attribute to necessary sacrifices. They might say, well, if you don't like it, don't play. Yet, those are the same people saying America needs football. It is interesting how when people lost their jobs and states were restricting certain businesses from operating, people would protest outside and risk jail time by going against orders. But they could have just done something different. The reality is that they didn't, and their desires spread to public offices and news outlets. It's not about doing something different. It's about putting people over money and property. It's about making things safe for all parties involved and not just some parties, especially the ones that are putting the most risk. And so, by the time you get to this point in the video, You're probably asking me like, you know, what, what makes this guy an authority on things? Well, you know, I was one of the top players coming out of California in 2008. I got scholarships to tons of schools. I ended up at Hawaii. I played three and a half years there as a corner and had two season ending injuries. I ended up getting hip reconstructive surgery on both hips on two different, two different seasons. Uh, Prior to my second surgery, I got my release from the team because just the environment wasn't healthy and it wasn't constructive for me to be there. They were going to medically disqualify me anyway because of my injuries and the coaches ended up up getting fired too. So it was just a a messy situation. So I ended up transferring to Oregon State after getting my degree and uh, getting into a grad program there Uh, as a contingency. You know, I had to walk onto the team and uh, show that I was healthy enough to play. Uh, that really panned out for me because I I, wore, I bust my butt, you know, from my second surgery to uh, getting to Oregon State. And I ended up starting the first game against Wisconsin where we upset them, you know. And, uh, and we had a phenomenal year. We ended up going to, ended up getting ranked ninth in the nation. Uh, I had a few pass breakups, some solo tackles. We played against Texas. Uh, it was a really great year. And more importantly, you know, I had my ESPN 360 moment where where I ended up getting an interception at the end of the game against Arizona State when we were playing on, I think it was like ESPN or Pac-12, uh, that helped us win the game. And uh, that was literally uh, 365 days after... I have my second surgery. And so literally a calendar year later, I uh, went from a wheelchair and having hip reconstructive surgery to getting an interception on national TV. And so it's like, you know, that, I think that's an att- That's a, a testament to the, the desire for me to want to play and continue playing was that, that grit and that, that desire to, to push myself. And so I honestly think that I'm a, I'm an authority to speak on this. Uh, more importantly, while I was in grad school, I began to explore social issues and, and really reflect on my playing experiences. I was studying sports psychology, exercise, sports science, fine arts in an in interdisciplinary program. And I was really intrigued by the motivations that we have for success. And for me, it was just to really prove my worth on the field despite coaches denying me those opportunities. For others, it's taking care of their families and creating legacies. With everything that I knew and saw, I came to the conclusion that the structure of the NCAA and college sports really encouraged guys to succeed on the field, but failed to provide the same support off the field and they fell short of that and it's been really difficult for not only me but a lot of guys to navigate this this post football life when we were only allowed to explore athletics in college in our formative years and more importantly like this it's it's not a, there's not much you can put on a resume if you're an athlete And there's no structure to help you build that resume as an athlete so that you can make that transition. And every school across the nation is feeling the effects that these guys just aren't prepared once things end. But they're prepared to work out. They're prepared to win games. And most of them, a lot of guys don't even get their degrees. And when they do, they don't know what to do with them. I was one of them. I had a master's degree. I didn't know what the heck to do with it. And so for me, I made a graphic novel called No Love for Gladiators that explored the topics and I I wrote my master's thesis on these disparities. Afterwards, I, I worked on a documentary about the business of college sports called The Business of Amateurs and how it affects the mental and physical health and well-being of these athletes trying to achieve their dreams. This made it to the John Oliver Show, it made it to film festivals, it made it to movie theaters and it ultimately landed on Hulu and Amazon Prime, which is actually pretty cool. I was fortunate to host student athletes at schools to watch it and also speak about it to college classes. I was working with the Players Association to advocate for athletes and I tried to put together groups. But things kind of fell apart once people's jobs were being threatened and people were really about to lose their eligibility and they were risking that by wanting to speak out about these conditions. So I had to take a step back, uh, like many of the guys that, you know, I was in this fight with. Uh, it was just it was really too much to deal with, for the most part, while I was still trying to figure out what my next path was, what how I was able to pick up these pieces uh, that were sort of left from football, and I, I really had an identity crisis, like a lot of guys do. And it's just interesting how you know this really primed me for uh, really going into medicine, and so that that's currently what my path is now is a medical school. And so I could I could speak to this whole thing personally because there there were coaches that. Uh, saw my interest in school as a distraction from football. If I got a bad grade then you know they would ostracize me in meetings and for me quote unquote not being focused but God forbid I leave class early or go to meetings or practice late for class or schedule a class during a mandatory football thing. You know this is a perfect way not to play football in college is if you put school before football. Even if it's out of your control. You know, I had science classes that would be, you know, starting at seven o'clock, but I would have practice at six thirty. And so it's like, what am I supposed to do about that? And they would they would essentially steer me down the the summer course where, you know, I'm taking organic chemistry for the first time in a six week summer course rather than a 16-week course that everybody else is taking it in. And then they wonder why I I would get a a bad grade or I would get a less than ideal grade in that course. Now, on top of that, I had to figure out how to pay for stuff because you can't get a job. And so, yes, you will get awarded if you get good grades. I made Pac-12 All-Academic First Team as a graduate student, and I missed Academic All-American by one semester, which kind of sucked. I also made the dean's list on multiple occasions at both schools that I played with. I was also questioned on many occasions whether I wanted to play football or just go to school despite me never missing a football thing. I might have to leave early, or I might be late to it, but I never missed a football thing. At times, it it was really toxic. I will say some programs are far worse than others. For me, Hawaii was much worse than Oregon State. And in fact, Oregon State was probably the most supportive program that I've probably been a part of. But there are some things that are just aspects of football culture. There are always some coaches and staff that see black players in particular ways. And that is mainly just a sheep rather than people. Maybe it's you know money or power i i honestly don't know but i bore the brunt of it for most of my playing career and it wasn't until i finally found myself and my why my why for playing football and going to school that it finally started to work out for me and i'll say that it took about 3 years for that to even get to that point and and i really had to kind of just put myself put my head down and Hopefully, hopefully make it through to that side. Uh, The worst thing that you can do as a player is get sick, get injured, and make mistakes on the field that are in crucial situations. I did all of those at some point, and I mean, that's when they try to get rid of you. They play mind games. They don't invite you to camp in August until last minute. They switch your position the day before practice. They demote you for no reason. The list can go on and on. It's just, you know, it's 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 mind games. They try to get under your skin. And things go unchecked because there's no representation for athletes. And there really isn't any accountability for staff and coaches as well. There's accountability for students, though. Anytime there's an NCAA violation for accepting money or doing something stupid, their face is going to be plastered on the internet gonna be plastered on TV and you know they're gonna be demonized as they're ungrateful or they're not a team player or anything like that and for me it i almost lost my eligibility because I got into art during my playing career mainly as sort of a, a artist therapy thing uh, and I had a viral YouTube video that got my channel partnered I hosted charities at art galleries where I sold my art and raised money for uh, the local children's shelter in in Corvallis. I ran a Kickstarter for my first graphic novel. Uh, If I would have capitalized on all this stuff, all my success off the field, I would have lost my eligibility. Not because I'm doing anything shady, but because money's involved. At the art show... I literally could not greet people at the door when they came because I couldn't be within viewing distance of any financial transactions. The fear-mongering that that happened off the field made me really pessimistic about my non-football-related abilities because they find this way to twist every success that you have as a byproduct of being an athlete, and not the other way around. When the meeting doors close and... Football facilities, it's its even more detrimental to guys. The point is that they will try to break you for standing out and thinking beyond the box that they put you in. Our coaches literally have coaches that I'll never forget to this day that tried to break me. And in some ways, they succeeded. I lost relationships with my teammates because of it. I was on antidepressants. I had to see a therapist, and the stress triggered other mental health issues that I had to manage. When I finally got a hold of my situation, I, I found a hobby. You know, I found art, I found animation, I found YouTubing, I found writing. And But mind you, this is, this is after I quit the team at Hawaii and had hip surgery and was able to recover as I went to school. Uh, I finally had that peace of mind and opportunity to get out of this football player box and explore life as a person trying to figure out my life. You know, I had the, I actually had the time to, to work on things knowing that I am going to go back into the football mindset again. Like I just had that peace of mind, that opportunity to, to explore or even think about exploring, think about what, what's life going to be like after football. If football doesn't continue, what will I have to do? I had that safety net and a lot of guys don't. And so by having that safety net, I, I'm fortunate, I'm really fortunate, but I understand that others others can use this opportunity, this pause, this this, this pushback, this postponing of, of a season to to take that time for yourself like there's there's just there's just so many parallels with my situation and with the situation with covid and and the season being canceled. I mean, this is this is an opportunity for guys to actually be students. This is something that they can grow personally, creatively, etc. It is an opportunity for them to reassess their priorities and get a jump start on other aspects in their life. One thing I did appreciate that I was able to really just take the opportunity to improve on myself. I literally went from being in a wheelchair in 2011 and on the verge of getting medically disqualified to starting in the PAC 12 on ESPN in August of 2012. And I was a new person. I was a better person. I was also working on as a cartoonist for the school newspaper. I really improved on my study skills. I feel like that time really helped me get a, a grasp on the idea that I didn't have to attain a mastery in school football and adulting at once. I could put one on pause, focus on others, and then come back to that when I when when I have when I was prepared. I put football on hold to focus on myself. And I did that. And because I did that, I was able to achieve everything that I set out to do initially. And that was literally just be successful and the rest of everything that happened once I got to Oregon State and once I took that time the rest of it was history because be honest with you I didn't play I didn't play at Hawaii I played at Oregon State you know I, I I barely made it by at Hawaii you know I improved later on but it was it was tough to manage it was tough to deal with but I really shined at at Oregon State. It was a, it was a program that supported me. They understood all the stuff that I was doing and, you know, it's, I have a track record with that to the point where when I retired my last game, when we played at the Hawaii bowl, they, you know, they did an article about it. They did a, a news segment about it because I, I finally was able to bring it back full circle. And from there, you know, the rest was history. And, and so I, I really, I really encourage people that are both playing and, and are both fans and supporters of, of these guys. You know, if we're, if we're going to talk about bringing back football, we also have to talk about representation. We have to talk about the benefits that these players are going to have by putting their lives at risk. We have to talk about guaranteed medical medical insurance after they play. We have to talk about, you know, if you're not going to play them, or if you're not going to pay them, that they need guarantees for the next five to ten years. They need guaranteed opportunities for employment. They need opportunities to get graduate degrees. If anybody is pursuing medicine, they need support to become physicians and nurses and healthcare professionals. If they're looking at entertainment, if they're looking at production or broadcast, they need internships. They need all that stuff. Those are all the things that I tried to do by myself and I realized that I couldn't because there's structures in place that, that foster these professionals. They don't just up and just show up to jobs and stuff like that. They have portfolios, they have support, they have letters of recommendation, they have all that stuff. All the stuff that players do not have currently because they don't have the opportunity to do so. And so if we're going to be talking about America needs football, well, football players need support and football players need opportunities off the field. And if you're not going to give football players or basketball players or any student athlete the support that they need to be successful off the field, then they don't need to support your desires to have entertainment during a pandemic. That's what Netflix is for. That's what people that actually get paid for. You know, coaches get paid, have them play. Graduate assistants get paid, have them play. Don't have the players play. They don't, they don't need to play. Because there's, there's too many other things that are, that are available. There's professional athletes. There's professional athletics. And so, I'm I'm really curious to see how this plays out. I imagine, you know, the Pac-12s are going to be more "quote unquote" liberal, um, which is just a it's a baffling the it's a baffling concept of talking about liberal politics or liberal conferences, uh, opposed to SEC, which is going to be more conservative which just means that they don't care about they care more about fiscal responsibilities and and personal actions versus I mean it's just this is just stupid you know it's it, it's it's stupid and and so I, I really hope that this works out in the favor of 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 all the players that are coming you know that came under me and and that are still playing right now because uh, you know it's it's difficult it's tough you have to make a decision at some point and you know it's unfortunate that there's institutions that will try to pray and take advantage of the decisions that you're trying to make, and they'll actually try to make those decisions for you. And uh, I'm just I'm just really curious to see how this plays out. And so again, thank you for thank you for listening, thank you for watching. I you can follow my projects, uh, any of the projects that you guys want. Um, again, I decided to take a little bit of a break from. AR stuff and med school stuff and and comic book stuff and all that to sort of share my thoughts about how I'm feeling with this and and really I mean it gave me an opportunity to to really think about my journey and what I've gone through in in the NCAA and the stuff that I've done post NCAA and uh the opportunities that came from the decisions that I made both on the field and off the field and you know it's it's been one of those things where I've always reflected and said you know if I would have focused on football 100% I probably wouldn't have gone gotten injured as bad maybe I don't know I probably would have had a better college career or had a had a more substantial professional career I probably would have done had things you know had things happen better uh, in, in more of my benefit but you know I I decided to not drink the juice and be a stereotypical black athlete black football player at a predominantly white school um, you know I decided to actually you know study and and put school first and foremost, and and try to do both at the the best ability I can, you know, to the point where I was a second year grad student in my senior season. I, and by the time when I played my last football game, three months later, I was getting my master's degree. And so, and I was playing in the Pac-12 and I was starting and I was doing all the things, you know, And it's, I think that's sort of a testament to where my mind was at and how serious I was taking it. Uh, It's just unfortunate that, you know, I wasn't able to go pro in something that I really, really put my heart and soul into. And it, it, you know, I'm still like to this day, you know, like I'm, I'm still grappling with that reality because... I feel like all the time and energy and you know mentors and my father and all that like I I, at some point you know like I I feel like I let them down because I wasn't able to balance or do all the things that like I set out to do that they invested their time and energy into you know I wasn't able to get that check I wasn't able to get that Jersey wasn't able to get that opportunity to you know don a professional a be a professional athlete and 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 rock that mantle you know it just it just didn't happen for me and you know that's one thing that's always going to to stick with me but at the end of the day I mean you know I think that that's the that's the flaw that's the dynamic of this whole idea of amateurism it's not You know, it's, there's so much weight put on trying to go pro and the only opportunity to do that, at least with football, basketball, it's a little different and baseball. It doesn't even have to play by those rules. Really? No other place has to play by those rules except for, except for football. But the whole dynamic of, you know, like the only way to go, go pro is to get through college sports it's you know it's it's fixing the game I mean it's you know it's fixing the game we could say oh you need to be ready and all these different things it's like you you know that that's just that's just saying stuff you know if anything you're just risking more injuries more than being prepared because most programs teach you a certain way but most guys have trainers and most guys go from one thing to the next and if you're good you're good i mean like that's just what it comes down to it doesn't matter where you go you can go anywhere and you can you just yeah it's i just have mixed feelings about it but again you know uh i appreciate everyone for for sticking around and and listening to me rant and and talk about different things and stuff uh you know this 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 situation definitely sort of hit me deeper than i expected it to Uh, I don't really know why. I guess it's just me just being reflective during COVID and stuff like that. Uh, But uh, again, you know, check out the projects. Uh, I'll post the links to my master's thesis and some of the videos that I referenced here. Um, And, you know, check out the medium, check out the blog, check out, you know, my stuff on Skillshare, uh, all that stuff. And so, again, catch you on the flip side.